0: how to think is a series of slow conversations between humans who re-center the work of listening healing justice and love created with recording and technical support from rosalyn Oates, and with editing mixing and sound design by feely and studio apothecary This is a DAS podcast presented in partnership with the Centre for Performance Philosophy at the University of Surrey in the UK and is part of the AHRC project Performance Philosophy and Animals led by Laura Cull omelerke head of DAS Graduate School in Amsterdam. For transcripts, full credits and acknowledgements including land and water acknowledgements, please visit the Performance Philosophy website which is linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the podcast, How to Think. I'm your host, Rajni Shah, and in this episode, you'll hear me in conversation with writer, poet, and artist, Kairani Baroka, or Oka. Before we dive into the episode today, I want to share something with you that feels like an important framing to this conversation. While making this podcast, I've desired so much to dismantle oppressive structures and to find new ways to come together and work together. And in doing so, I have, of course, come up against my own limits and limitations. What came to light during the process of making this episode some of the hierarchies I hadn't considered carefully enough when laying the foundations for these conversations to happen. So it feels important to say that in the lead-up to this conversation, one of my team members used ableist language, which broke the chain of trust for Oka, who told me about what had happened after we had our conversation. Of course, there have been apologies and learnings that have taken place since then, but I mention this because each of these conversations has revealed themselves to be both about something and embodying that very thing within its process. So just as the previous episode revealed itself to be about pain, mess, loss, and haunting, this one, for me, is about listening, trust, and vulnerability. Not just because Oka and I talk about these things, but also because Oka was bringing herself to this conversation in spite of and alongside a broken chain of trust. There's one other thing that might be helpful to know before we dive in. Oka refers during our conversation to a map that was inside a small booklet that I sent to each participant prior to our conversation. And if you're curious to see this map, there's a copy on the Performance Philosophy website where this podcast is hosted. As always, there are links and further information in the show notes, and there is an accompanying episode to this one that you might want to check out, in which Oka shares some of her favourite daily well being practices. As ever, I hope you enjoy the listening. So what I've invited from the other people I've spoken to so far is that we begin with um, clean space, which is just a chance for each of us to, so each of us in turn to just speak anything that we might need to speak to arrive ourselves. Um, it's kind of like, how are you? <laughs> um, but you just speak for as long as you need to and um, acknowledge anything that you want to acknowledge about um where you like, maybe where you are literally, but also where you're at in terms of emotions. So it's kind of a chance to check in with ourselves. And the other person just listens. And then when you're done, so we, we would just take a turn to do that. Um, yep. Great. And then I might um, give us a chance to do a little bit of breathing and then we just move into our conversation. Okay. Does that sound good?
1: Yeah, sounds good. Um, where I am currently geographically, I'm in London, I'm in South London. Um, but emotionally and emotionally, I'm a bit, um, I'm grateful for the solitude actually, because I feel like I have a lot to do in terms of errands, in terms of work, in terms of, um, getting on top of my stuff that requires as little noise as possible emotionally. Um, and then also, I guess, emotionally and spiritually, whenever I speak to my family in Jakarta, they say, oh, you're here also. Or you're present here um, in, in my family's house in Jakarta, which is very nice to hear because I also feel like I'm in two places, in Jakarta as well as in London. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Um, So where I am is I'm on um, Bedigal lands in Sydney. And uh, I'm actually, I'm not at home. So it's it's kind of a strange setup. I've brought in a bunch of stuff with me to this, um, a friend's office that I'm borrowing to try and make it less like an office. But I am actually in an office on a university campus that's, closed right now. So so I'm a little bit dislocated in a way. Um, But I've also, I came here early. I've been here for a good few hours and had some time to settle in. And um, yeah, I feel um, honestly, kind of the fact that we checked in and then we needed to come back half an hour later because the phone had to charge I think was really (laughs) nice for me I think it was actually kind of helpful why I don't know I think it just made it um more real and relaxed
1: okay well yeah I can't say I did that on purpose and I apologize again but um (laughs) but yeah, okay, I'm glad that that happened. And yes, I think in a weird way, I was. I also became a little more relaxed about the process.
0: Mm. I was like, we got to have two goes at the beginning. <laughs> I feel like that's always a good thing.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Mm. So I have a little bell. I'm just going to ring it to check that you can hear it. I can hear it. So I'm going to invite us to, because I feel like, sometimes I feel like lead breath meditations um, are helpful, but sometimes I also feel like they can be challenging because we're actually dealing with such different bodies Mm. and our needs are so different. So Mm. um, what I'm going to invite is for each of us to, I'll ring the bell and then I'll give us some time for each of us to just breathe with ourselves in our bodies and to kind of um, do that in a way that gives us what we need to ground and arrive with ourselves, Mm -hmm. Um, which might be about, I find it helpful to think about really, um, to think about breathing out as letting go of anything that's, that I'm carrying that doesn't really serve me right now, that doesn't really need to be present for this conversation and then just breathing in um, new air and new uh, replenishment for, f- to bring me into the present moment. Mm-hmm. So I offer that if it's helpful um, as a framework for you.
1: Sure. I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: So now, yeah, I just invite us to enter into the conversation and allow it to emerge however it emerges. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I forgot to say before was that I find it really helpful to kind of steer away from direct questions And Mm, so like if you have a question or if I have a question to think about what the desire is beneath Mm. that so it can be expressed as a statement or as a curiosity. Um, Yeah, sure. And then we can respond to it or not respond to it. And so we just kind of allow each thing that, that either of us says to land and sit with it and then maybe respond to it or maybe maybe speak about something else so the rhythm is a little bit different from a usual conversation um really with the attempt to just ground into listening and see what comes
1: okay Yeah, there's something about um, just holding the map you kindly sent in front of me right now um, when you said that you prefer not to use direct questions. um, It made me think that, you know, in the middle of this wonderful map that you sent, there are a lot of questions, but because it's been some time since I first received them in the mail, they don't feel direct, if that makes sense. Like, I've allowed the answers to percolate in my body. Mm. Um, and it feels like remembered questions because it's not the first time I'm reading them, if that makes sense.
0: Mm. I love the idea of remembered questions. Almost like the questions planted a seed of remembering that then may yeah. be allowed for a, a remembering to happen that comes through you
1: yeah and I think the word direct has this connotation of um of impact of sort of uh, a sharp impact maybe even um which is not always a bad thing obviously um but Because of the time gap um, and maybe even because of the distance we are physically, you in Australia and me in the UK, um, yeah, they feel more softened, if that makes sense. Hmm. And you're making space for emergent flow in the course of our conversation also reminds me even though I'm now filling that silence that we're not used to being silent with other people especially not other people that we've never been in the same room and you know physically um, because it is such intimacy to be silent with somebody else and yeah this is an interesting experiment because of that alone I would say
0: Yeah. It's uh it feels like an act of trust. Yes. Yeah. And I think I mentioned to you that I have some kind of relationship already with all of the other people I'm speaking to. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm very aware that it's in a way it's a bigger ask of you to the tr- the ask of trust. Um because we don't Already have anything to base that on, um, and I'm. I think there is. I'm. I'm really interested in the relationship between listening and trust, and maybe vulnerability.
1: Yes, absolutely. But you also get macro and maybe or or micro about it. Um, I guess we're all being asked a big ask of trust every time we interact with anybody else. Right. Because there are so many ways that a person can offend us or violate a sense of trust, um, in everyday life. Right. Like a plumber might come to my house and I, and say something that hurts me, even though they don't know me. Right. Mm. I, I don't know. I use the plumber. Um, Actually, I do. It's probably because as I'm currently self-isolating as much as possible, the only people I'm letting in are people I'm either very close with or, you know, or actually one person very close with, um, or someone who works for my building, right? Mm. Because I have had, um, uh, like my tap was having issues a while ago during quarantine and I had to trust somebody to come in and, um... Yeah, and then I found myself thinking, oh, they didn't wash their hands for long enough or, you know, just Mm -hmm. little things like that. Um, And the pandemic has made me even more attuned to these things, I think. I don't know about you, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm I'm now thinking about that example of the plumber because i feel like it's um i feel like i know exactly that feeling of um i feel like it's happened a number of times to me that i somebody who i don't know comes into my home for whatever reason and i i love having conversations with strangers Mm. Mm. but i often get to a place where we're being and I feel like this is a really classic um, a thing that happens to us as humans but you know I feel like we're being friendly and then they say something that's deeply offensive to yes. me yes or that's just deeply offensive <laughs> and and I yes and and the number of times that's happened and I haven't said anything and then I just don't know what to do with that, because I feel
1: like I I ought to say something. I completely understand where you're coming from, and I think that um, yeah, because the outcomes are so variable, especially with someone you don't know well, right, you are opening yourself up to further injury by saying something, mm. um, as you are also opening up your yourself to further injury by not saying something right so Mm. I think that ultimately for me after these things have happened I always have to remind myself that it's not my fault and that Mm. you know to not take so much responsibility for the injury if that makes sense that other people are doing because there's only so much that we can do right Mm. Um, and that's something that I'm still learning all the time because I tend to be self blaming quite a bit
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's hard not to feel that we ought to do it all, all
1: the time. Yeah, and I think it's also difficult to... Social configurations aren't always as apparent as people think they are, right? Um Uh, you know, you don't always know, especially for instance, in a work setting, right? Or, um, if you're speaking to a friend of a friend, what the repercussions will be for your social configurations Mm. if you say something and if you don't, right? And I think that especially for people who come from stolen from communities, um, And who are, for instance, minoritized in Western countries, there's always this sense of needing to preserve our safety, right? Mm -hmm. In a very real sense. Um, Along with other, you know, aspects of our lives, like myself identifying as disabled, for instance, and chronically ill. um, Or, you know, like usage of pronouns, right, that other people may not be used to. Like there's always something that you don't, you don't know where the injury is going to come from. If that makes sense, mm. because there are so many different parts of our lives that could be um, targeted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think part of that as well for me is accepting that. We will cause harm to others, or we will yes. offend others, or injure others. And the question isn't isn't or can't be how can we live without that happening. But it is really, you know, what what do I do if I learn that that has happened, or um, yeah, how do I how do I create an environment where we can? Speak up about those things and be forgiving and responsible.
1: Forgiving and responsible as as sort of keywords. Yeah. (laughs) I think,
0: well, I wanted to say and and be forgiving, like be forgiving of ourselves. But I also Mm. feel like it's important to take responsibility Mm. when when something has happened. So it's kind of has to be both of those things.
1: I think forgiving and responsible is a good title for something <laughs> you might want to you might want to write something with that title. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think it's also, of course, we are going to offend and hurt other people, but also we have in our past, right? <laughs> um, and you know, sometimes I'll think about how I remember in Jakarta, a friend of mine was saying that, oh, you know, this person was really offended by something you said and now they don't want to talk to you. And I just, I didn't even realize that I'd done that, right? Mm. Um, And it was something I'd said about Indonesians, but in a, it was self-mockery because I'm Indonesian, right? And we tend to, like, we 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 are allowed to be self-mocking, I think. Um, But this other Indonesian woman was really offended that I'd said that. And from my perspective, it's like, I'm very sorry that they were offended, but also because they didn't say anything, I couldn't say, of course, that was in jest because I'm not self-hating, right? Like, I love being, you know, who I am and where I'm from, but also I get to poke fun at my people (laughs) a little bit, right? But at the same time, you know, just because you're not offended doesn't mean other people aren't offended, right? Right. So... So, yeah, so it it got me thinking a lot about whether or not to speak up about something. Um, because also context matters in terms of place where it happens. Like, I remember this happened at um, a social gathering with a bunch of other friends around. So she might not have felt comfortable telling me who she didn't know very well. Like, I don't think you should say that about us, mm-hmm. you know? Um And I felt sad also that it's like, oh, they're like actively avoiding me because they think I said something really offensive or something that was offensive to them. And at the same time, I'm thinking, but surely, you know, I mean, but even my but surely thought is me privileging my experience, right? Hmm. So I think... I think also it's so difficult to paint things with a broad brush because this is why I really actually really despise these conversations about, um, you know, about like, for instance, oh, cancel culture, other things, because so often the people who want to make this the topic of conversation paint with such a broad brush Mm. about everything and don't pay attention to specificities and hierarchies of power. I mean, to be frank, it's usually when white men bring this up, right? Mm. (laughs) Um, And it's, they just pay with such a broad rush and you're not, it's really, and it really shows, I think, um, who you are as a person when you say things like, oh, that would, even things that people don't realize betray their ignorance or their lack of sensitivity, for instance, like, oh, it's a really timely discussion as though it was not timely in our ancestors' time as well, right? Mm. Like, I feel like this word timely is such a white construct, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And even the term ahead of your time, because um, I was reading, do you know the book Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown? I do, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I was reading, I remember when I was reading that, I loved the part where um, they're saying that, you know, every runaway slave was an Afrofuturist. Every um, mother that either gave up or nurtured their child, uh, gave up on loving or loved their child that would be, you know, that would be a slave um, was an Afrofuturist because... There's a way in which, you know, you, you imagine futures other than your reality and you know that your reality is untenable, right? And even recognizing that is a form of futurism in a way. Mm. Because I, yeah, I feel like Like when people speak about Black Lives Matter and say, oh, it's, you know, with this recent resurgence in, I suppose, white interest in in Black Lives Matter's message, right, that happened around June, there was a lot of talk about, oh, especially now it's such a timely discussion. And it's like, but this has always been, you know, for centuries, a timely discussion, And I feel like, yeah, little, little, you know, I think little gradations of injury like that do pile up over time because we're just so used to um, being in unsafe environments and being so open and vulnerable to that injury, right? Like um, I was writing about how I love podcasts and especially someone who's self-isolating a lot, like they really help me get through my day, right? I'll listen to them because I'm used to, you know, having people's voices around or um, uh, back home in Jakarta. And so I um, will listen to a lot of them, but inevitably they will say, the, the host will say something ableist or racist or sexist or, you know, something that I just, cannot abide by and then I stop listening to the podcast but only until I forget and even actively try and forget what they have said (laughs) because I do want to be able to enjoy myself with their voice and especially if they show signs of being repentant or learning or in the process of learning and I find this a lot with the ableism thing because um I'm still constantly learning about ways in which I'm ableist because there are so many kinds of body minds that you can't possibly know what reality is like for every single one of us, right? Mm. Yeah, I feel
0: like um, it's it. It's so easy in this time to just become scared. And not mm, yeah, you know not put ourselves out there or not speak at all. And I I feel like I'm constantly trying to devise ways to be in the world and be and you know maybe this is an example of it as well. And you know, inviting an articulacy is a mm. way of saying, I I appreciate it when people, do put themselves out there and are vulnerable and and do so in a way that isn't um, it isn't too perfect actually. So that hmm. that kind of acknowledges that we are clumsy and we are in a process and it is messy and that and it you know that's that feels like a truth to me that you know we're we're. We live in order to acknowledge change. We have to acknowledge our clumsiness with change, or something. <laughs> you know,
1: like, mm. Yeah, and, clumsiness. Yeah, acknowledging clumsiness as change, right? Mm, yeah, and
0: and and yet yeah, I know that I'm I'm afraid of it, and I. You know, I remember really specifically somebody who I really admire saying to me and it was after I had done something in public, I'd spoken in public and they said to me, "I wish you had spoken about this this particular racist incident that had happened." Just beforehand they said, "Why didn't you speak about that?" And then and they they said it in a very caring way. Um mm-hmm but they said you know you create opportunities for all of us to to be messy and vulnerable hmm. but you you don't give that to yourself hmm. and it really stayed with me and it's you know that was years wow. ago years ago but it it was it's a thread for me of of learning how to do that and how to Give myself permission, and and also to protect myself when I need to. But to right. to know the moments when the right and brave thing is to uh, be out there in in my messiness and to not be afraid of that. Because if I value it in other people, then I know, you know, I I, I suppose I I know kind of cognitively that it's it's a beautiful thing, and and those. Moments when other people share from themselves in a vulnerable way and are not too, um, uh, what is it? Are not too kind of, I I think, or, or just are vulnerable, are genuinely vulnerable and not just, vulnerable or like talking about a vulnerable situation in retrospect but actually opening up uh I it means so much to me and it can it can really change my world
1: may I ask if the person who um confronted you after your um speaking engagement if they had a prior relationship to you or if yes. they were a stranger? No, okay, they did, right. they did. Because <laughs> I was like, that's quite an intense thing for a stranger to <laughs> say to someone.
0: <laughs> no, they absolutely did. And it was, It were, I don't even know if I'm um, representing well what they said, because I feel like it's now completely in my own words. But it was, um, it was said in a very loving way. Um, it was mm. one of those things that was said in a very loving way but also very clear and I really appreciated it
1: yes anything said very lovingly and very clear it's (laughs) it's something special um I think also that when we give such advice to people I think especially the more I you know became involved in disability justice efforts in the arts um I re- and the more often I was as I you know have been so many times misunderstood by people or been injured by people in different ways both physically and emotionally um, because of ignorance um, I realize, like you also don't again because as you said there is also the need to protect ourselves you don't always know if someone is in a state of mind and and body and emotions, where they need to protect themselves more in that moment. And so they will not be vulnerable. Mm. And that's something that we never know of other people. We never know other people's interiority. And we can never know. So I like to leave that window open. And I think whereas in the past, I might have said, I mean, I think in your case, it was different because this is someone who did have a prior relationship with you, but I, you know, when it's, even with my friends, actually, I'll just sort of, you know, think or try to think, well, I don't know what's going on with them. So maybe I shouldn't give them that advice that they could have been more open and messy and vulnerable because I don't, there are things that they might not be telling me. They might have a stomach ache. Like even we aren't able to articulate why we feel more the need to protect ourselves and be vulnerable in a particular instance, right? Mm. Like for me, often it's after the fact that I realize, oh, because I actually was having sort of the beginnings of a headache at that time and I could kind of sense it
0: mm. and I
1: didn't, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was just like, just take a rest and protect yourself more at this moment. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think that's part of why I really value slowing the pace of a conversation and also maybe something that I I tend to do is um, ask people if they want to hear that feedback in that moment or not and make it clear that not is a very valid option Um, if I do have something to offer so that I'm not making an assumption that somebody wants to hear what I have to say
1: how would you phrase that for instance?
0: I think I would say um, I I have I have a thought or a response to what you shared that um, and it's something that I'm I'm feeling strongly that I want to share with you but I um, it may not be the right time to share it with you and is are you open to hearing are you open to hearing that now or mm. not and mm. it's totally fine if you're not like i I, f- I feel like that's something that more and more is really helpful to me to hear but also to say to other people is to be really clear that it's not going to offend me if this isn't the right time or if never is the right time mm. you know
1: Hmm. Yeah. I think I'm guilty of too often saying like, yes, I am open to feedback and then not accounting for, you know, because you can never know what that feedback is going to be mm-hmm. as well, right? So even someone's permission to give feedback isn't, yeah, it's, we're just always so open and vulnerable all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think the question for me then is how how can we really allow ourselves to tune in because I I I that resonates for me too. I tend to mm-hmm. even in that situation I would very quickly say yes <laughs> without. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting better at it. I think I'm getting better at actually genuinely taking the question on and sitting with it or saying I don't know, so let me think about it. Um, But maybe it's also about, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. It would depend on the specifics of the situation, but I think there could be something in maybe saying that, that you have something to share and inviting the other person to let you know when, Is it, it, if they want to hear it, when is a good time? And not making the assumption that the good time is right now? Yeah. It's
1: a good point.
0: I'm, um, I'm curious about to go back to the idea of remembering and mm. something that you said when we started speaking about the map and mm-hmm. and looking at the questions and then kind of processing them I can't remember the exact words that you used but in a kind of more embodied way so that they um, they were with you as a kind of remembering and I guess I'm curious about if there was anything more that you wanted to say about either the, the feeling of that act of remembering or the act, any of the actual rememberings that maybe came up.
1: Um, yeah, I think I, what I said was, uh, I let the questions percolate in my body for a while, um, or something like that. I definitely used the word percolating. Um, no, I just so appreciate just even the little timescale of this project, right? Where, you know, you get something in the mail that you read, that you think about and, and process in your own time. And then the conversation happens, you know, weeks later is um, a really nice change of pace, considering how many emails we have to respond to that, you know, like, please respond to this by the next day or, you know, what have you. Mm. Um It really invites, because the questions that you posed are all just so beautiful too. And um, I very much appreciate being given the extra time to let them sit with me because they're so lovely. Um, Yeah. And it's, they're even questions that I'm thinking I might want to return to after this project, right? That I can just open this little... Booklet and ask these questions of myself in the moment.
0: Mm. I'm wondering about that the relationship with time, and um, if there are things that you do, because I feel like our relationship with time and agency i guess Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um is so political Mm -hmm. and i'm curious about whether you have strategies for maybe reclaiming your time or inhabiting time differently um which I think also relates to some of the things that you were saying around um, the Adrian Marie Brown and Afrofuturism and, and those, you know, like who is using the phrase timely and what is happening in the use of a certain kind of person using that word to describe something. Um, yeah. And I'm really interested in, in how, how people... Um, Or, you know, how kind of living within the kind of societies that we live in that are so geared towards um, productivity and speed, you know, efficiency. Um, I'm always really curious about whether there are ways that, that other people
1: claim back their time. Yeah, I mean, I... I'm a firm believer in decolonized crip time. Mm. Um, So crip time being uh, just a time that is attuned to the rhythms of the body and what the body needs and wants in any particular moment from a disability justice perspective. And then also the decolonized aspect of that is um, I wrote an essay called The Grammar of Time Travel um, for a column I write. Uh, for catapult and um, I can send it to you if you'd like Mm. the link Um, but it's it was all about how you know in Indonesian we don't have past future present tenses for verbs so unless it is made uh, clear for instance like I eat I ate I will eat they're all the same sentence saya makan right but if you say, saya akan makan, Sai, uh, uh, Sai, um, I will eat, if you, if you deliberately add another word there to indicate that it's, you will eat, or if you say, saya makan kemarin, which means I ate yesterday, um, you know, making clear and explicit the time relationship, until that happens, it could be in all three times simultaneously. And in that sense, you know, it got me thinking about how I write about people who I love who've passed away. Um, and when I say, you know, like they are with me, it's not they were with me. It's not they will be with me. It's not they are with me right now. It's all three of those tenses at the same time, which is really beautiful for me mm. is beautiful. to think about that we will be in people's lives and we have been in people's lives and we are now. So this continuity, um, because I think, you know, there's so many Western imposed concepts of time, colonial concepts of time that are also ableist that surround us. And I love, you know, realizing and recognizing something about my own language you know, Indonesian, which is, you know, if you're talking in the context of Papua, is still a colonial language, right? Because Indonesia colonizes parts within its territories. Um, But there is a decolonial aspect when compared to English. Mm. So, yeah, I try to... um, In a way, like just not being attuned to other people's timelines is really liberating. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really that's a really beautiful word for it. Attuned. It's like they exist, these different timelines exist, right? But we get to choose what how we how we're tuning in.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult because at the same time we live in a society, um, in a capitalist society. I do need to work to earn money, right? And so I am beholden to to timelines that do have some rigidity to them. And we do live in a world of deadlines, but at the same time, um, if we're fortunate enough to be able to, it's a good exercise, it's a good practice to be literally practiced over and over again, right? This constant attuning to our body minds. And it's really difficult because we've been imbibing um, colonial time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we've been imbibing colonial time. It's true.